You're listening to a Wheeler Centre podcast. I think just remembering at the end of the day, like, there's no need to explain yourself for what you like. Like, who are you to tell me? Yeah. I yeah. can't like Taylor Swift. <laughs> In this episode of the Wheeler Centre podcast, journalist Brittany Spanos and host Brody Lancaster discuss the mythology and influence of Taylor Swift. They speak about Swift's meteoric ascent to become one of the most celebrated and prolific musical artists of all time, and her ongoing impact on fandom, popular culture, and the music industry. Brittany Spanos's visit to Melbourne was part of the University of Melbourne's Swift Posium Conference, and this was her only public event. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. <laughs> My name is Brodie Lancaster. I'd like to begin by acknowledging that we're meeting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and pay respect to elders past and present. I'm going to try to answer the question that I think every social media caption writer has been asking over the last year, but I'm not sure I'm ready for it, <laughs> as they keep asking if I am, but thankfully I'm not facing it alone because joining us today on what is kind of a cliched Melbourne day. Uh, all the way from New York is Brittany Spanos. She's a senior writer at Rolling Stone, where she's written about pop music and internet culture since 2015. Her byline has appeared on cover stories about Adele, Cardi B, Harry Styles, recently Al Kylie and Dua Lipa. You can hear her regularly on the Rolling Stone Music Now podcast. And if you're one of the attendees of the Swift Posium over the weekend, you'll have heard her present her keynote there as well. This event and Brittany's visit to Australia was made possible by that conference at University of Melbourne, so we just want to thank the Faculty of Arts at the University for their support. Brittany, welcome to the Wheeler Centre. Thank you. <laughs> wow, this is like uh, pop star level uh, fandom <laughs> in the flesh. Um, the Swift Posium wasn't the first time that you've spoken about pop music in an academic context. Mm -hmm. We presented papers together many years ago, along with Maria Sherman, the critic and mm -hmm. author about One Direction, RIP, <laughs> at the EMP Pop Conference in Seattle. And you're also essentially the professor of Taylor Swift. Um, can you tell us all a little bit about the origins of your class and at the Clive Davis School and also like the intentions behind uh, kind of beginning that. Yeah, so I was an NYU student for college and I took a lot of these classes in Clive Davis, which is a school in the fine arts program at NYU that's geared towards students who want to be musicians or um, want to work in the music industry. And it, most of the classes in that program are like closed off to people who are actually in that program. I was not in that program, so I ended up taking all the open courses and they were all these like half semester amazing fun courses on like famous musicians and scenes so I took one on David Bowie on punk rock and like Nirvana and the rise of grunge like these were like very formative classes for me and especially as an aspiring music journalist I was like those built a foundation for a lot of what I know mm -hmm. um and I always wanted to teach one and I really it was in the back of my mind for a long time where I was like, maybe one day I'll be like an expert in something or like feel smart enough to talk to a class of kids and, and do that. Um, and yeah, I kept in touch with the department head, Jason King, who's actually at a different university now. And 
Um, I pitched him a few artists. It was like Taylor Swift, um, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, and um, Tina Turner. And I was like, those are all artists that if I needed to walk into a classroom tomorrow with little to no preparation, I could talk at length for like three hours about something mm-hmm. with them. Um, and he loved the Taylor idea. He was like, we don't, we, you know, at the time they didn't have a lot of uh, younger artists that those classes were built around. Um, they now have a lawn class as well that started mm-hmm. the semester after my first Taylor class. And um, he was thought, you know, there was just so many elements of Taylor that would be really informative for a classroom of students who want to work in the music business. Mm-hmm. And I agreed. And so that's how that's how it came to be and it's been super fun Mm. it's wild to think that there was this idea that you know an artist had to have kind of like a a long legacy or a decades-old legacy to be worth studying Mm -hmm. I imagine at the time um I remember hearing recently like the the Spice Girls were only a thing for like 20 months (laughs) they like didn't even pass the two-year mark but I'm sure that they're like you know we we consider them like a legacy act in a way that I think some people probably still don't consider Taylor Swift despite almost 20 years. Yeah, and I, I think it's also just, like, she's so prolific. Like, I mean, I took the Nirvana class. There's, like, only a few Nirvana albums that we're really discussing. Like, we're really kind of... Mm. It has to be a class that is also about, like, you know, Kurt Cobain's life and about um, 90s culture and about grunge culture. Like, this, there's so much music that Taylor's released, and even... When I was working on the syllabus, it was 2021 when I pitched the class, and Fearless TV had come out when I pitched it. Red TV came out after I'd already submitted the the syllabus, so then I had to rework that. Mm -hmm. Then luckily, quiet for most of 2022. (laughs) Like, literally, the And then, yeah, like spring semester when I first taught the class, she was nowhere to be found. Like, it was like actually like pretty shocking, because I was like, she's like, I was like, the most news about her was about the class. Like, I was like, this is kind of crazy. That's like, true, yeah. Where is Taylor? And then she drops Midnights in the Fall, and my second time teaching was spring 2023. And I um, reworked the syllabus again to, like, make sure Midnights was on the syllabus. The class semester ended two weeks before Aerostore came. And so I was like, okay, like, I was like, I'm so happy <laughs> that this, like, everything changed after this semester. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm not teaching this school year because they kind of like divvy up the classes for all these. And so mm. I'm actually very thankful to kind of not be having to like rework what I'm teaching the students um, every five minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I have, um, I interviewed you recently for an issue, an edition of The Big Issue that's coming out about Taylor Swift this week. Um, and I had to add stuff right before it went to print because... Mm-hmm. The Grammys happened and then, you know, this week the news has been kind of filled with talk of like, can a jet get from Japan to the Super Bowl <laughs> to Australia in time? Like the the news kind of like does not stop. It doesn't yeah. rest. Um, I remember reading in the NME in like 2015, like just post 1989, I think, um, after the like media saturation of the squad kind of moment, Taylor Swift said, I think my I think people might need a break from me. And that thought is kind of gone now. The idea that there has been any kind of oversaturation, the level of exposure is one thing, but there's also like the scale of the creative output that she's been operating at for the last five years now. Yeah. Is kind of without comparison. Um, what do you kind of chalk that up to? You know, I think 
I mean, it just seems like she is really in a creative prime right now that I think is so unique. And I think every artist kind of hopes that they have this sort of, you know, multi-year period where they are super inspired and they are kind of producing a lot of music. And so much of that is like, not only has she released, I mean, since 2020, she's released now going, going to be four original albums of mm. new work. And the three that we have are pretty excellent. And, you know, I think fo like Folklore and Evermore specifically brought in a lot of new fans. I mm -hmm. think they like completely reshaped how some people who maybe were not too, super sold on Taylor and her talent and her songwriting um, may have had a newfound respect or kind of listened to her with new ears. Um, but yeah, so the original music is really good. And she has these re-recordings. Fearless and Red were like the best possible ones to put out first because both those albums were like really career making in terms of making her um, bigger than country music and making mm -hmm. her a crossover artist. Um, and those were really good reminders, I think, for people of that talent having been there, of the songwriting and the skill level being so high as a teenager and creating like really massive success with those albums. Like All Too Well, 10 Minute being num a number one song is pretty remarkable mm. uh, like to be able to do that you know uh, nearly a decade later so so yeah I think it's just kind of like the the volume is massive but it's also like really good mm. and so that's kind of helping push that all along mm. I will mention I forgot to say it at the top we're going to have time for questions at the end in case you're thinking about things and want to ask them to Brittany later on but it's my turn for a while yet um, <laughs> and as you were saying that I, I was thinking about how the um, like the eras to an era is also like it rewards like that deep kind of encyclopedic like engagement with that yeah. earlier work as well like to to get it you have to have like either been there or like done your homework since as well so there's a real kind of savvy um not just the the kind of re-recordings but the the level of engagement that fans kind of are encouraged to have is something pretty unique to her as well yeah and it's I mean it's just like this like almost constant nostalgia cycle, but not in mm -hmm. like, I find it a little bit less sort of, I don't know, almost exploitative than like actual sort of nostalgia cycles that sometimes people do where they're like 90s boat cruise. You know, it's like, it's like she is, she's doing this as a, a means of owning her work. And, you know, it is a project that's kind of coming from this like legal place, this personal place, mm. this kind of betrayal, this like revenge kind of aspect that also colors a lot of her music and is just like a fascinating aspect of Swift totally. But like, mm. it's also like informing the new music. So like you can hear elements of the music on Fearless and Red in Folklore, mm -hmm. you know, like you can hear her re-examining teenage love stories on on an album like that. And very clearly is like thinking about herself and thinking about her past selves while she's writing her music and Midnight's of course is like the best example of that where mm -hmm. it's you know the the midnights from her life and you could place these songs into different album cycles and different eras so she's like feeding into it because she herself is being nostalgic for these times mm -hmm. and it's very clear in how she ha is having so much fun on stage revisiting these these eras and and um, recreating them for everyone and mm. revisiting the outfits and like the dance moves and like the, you know, the like hand hearts and the, you know, the, the funky little red bowler hat that she brought back. <laughs> funky? <laughs> the, fu the funky little hat, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the re-recording moment, like it really feels like something, 
something happened then in 2020 with both the Scooter Braun, like the Scooter Braun moment kind of coalesced those two sides of her persona, I think. Like the kind of young woman, forever, perpetually a young woman with like ringlets and a guitar who is always the teenage girl who's like never chosen, always Mm -hmm. kind of done wrong. And that's like such a big mine for her to kind of keep pulling from. Um, But also the other side of it is this adult woman artist who understands her power and influence Mm -hmm. and kind of like creative ambition and and really appreciates the ability she has to kind of summon her fans and essentially say, I want to overwrite my archive and I need you to press play on these songs instead of these ones. Will you do it for me? And like (laughs) millions of people are like, yes. Um, In pursuit of like artistic justice, like it all kind of, yeah, 2020 feels like a very momentous moment for Taylor, right? Yeah, that that definitely is, I think, sort of what was the turning point because – even when you think about it, like, Lover was an album that I, I really love Lover, but, like, it wasn't... It didn't get its moment. It, yeah, it, it didn't get its out. moment, but it also wasn't, like, a, an immediately beloved album in the way that no, some no, of her no. albums have been. I think it was pretty divisive because the lead singles were, like, kind of a misdirection for people, I think. Yeah. Like, I think that album is actually, like, I return to the album a lot, and I think it's, like, pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. But, like, the singles otherwise do not tell you that the album is going to be, like as this like sort of like intimate kind of uh, brilliant love songs from her across mm-hmm. the board. Um, but like people just kind of really loathed like me and you need to calm down in ways that, um, you know, kind of happened with Look What You Made Me Do, which was also a really divisive single. And again, wasn't the best representation of Reputation, mm-hmm. which I think again, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of all the albums, but like Reputation no, and, I totally and agree. are like albums that like I, it shocked me that those were the singles chosen, but obviously those singles were like meant to be a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you know, she kind of was still rebuilding a lot of her goodwill post, um, you know, 1989 overexposure, post the Kimye feud, post the 2016 election. Like there was still like mm-hmm. a lot of, of stuff that she was like really trying to um, rebuild, even though it never stopped her from still being massive. It just kind of was like a little bit of a just like a step back backwards that she kind of had to like figure out. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it really did feel like that obviously the pandemic kind of like cut a lot of things short, but she she went from reputation of like I'm not doing any press, you're going to buy this Target magazine of my <laughs> interview I decide to give like my snake print photos. Um and then Lover was when she really embraced kind of promoting an album again you know she performed she did so many great live performances Mm -hmm. like kind of offered up a lot of herself in live interviews um and yeah it did feel like something kind of like cut short and we like missed out on something else before she I don't know went up to Long Pond and braided her hair yeah (laughs) and it's like the weirdest like best career accident thing like it's sort of like it's like being so grateful yeah like I can't even imagine like what you know what would have happened next, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, it's kind of crazy to think about because I don't know that the album Following Lover would have had the same impact if it weren't for the type of, like, introspection that was happening on Folklore and Evermore. And I don't know that the type of introspection would have happened if she weren't home and, like, having to, you know, be forced to reflect in the way that many mm-hmm. of us were in 2020. And, like, 
I, it's kind of surreal to think about like how that sort of benefited mm. so much of her career in that time. Yeah, reflecting, but then also like re-recording all that yeah. old stuff. She was kind of in that mindset again. Um, I want to go back a little ways to kind of the very beginning, like 18 years ago. I realized it's it's been 18 years. I realized it's been since Taylor kind of first appeared with her debut record. Mm. So in other words, I want to talk about country music. Yeah. Um, because along with boots. I love the boots. Um, Along with Reputation, Taylor's version, we're waiting for her debut album to be re-recorded, which is from an era I'm very affectionate for, the Tim McGraw, Teardrops on My Guitar, Slam and Screen Door era. Um, What sense do you have of Taylor's relationship now to country music and that community and that kind of... It's almost an industry of its own. You know, we've seen other pop stars step into country and really embrace the aesthetics and the sounds. Madonna 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. Beyonce like two days ago. Um, (laughs) What do you think of Taylor's kind of like relationship to it now so far removed and after everything that has kind of transpired in the years since? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, the first part is that I think even when she was more entrenched in country music, even with debut and Fearless, she wasn't like... She was part of that country community, like she opened for Rascal Flash, she opened for Tim McGraw, like she was part of it, but she was very quickly kind of aligned herself with pop people. Like her age group and her peers were the Jonas Brothers and Selena Gomez, and like by Fearless, she was spending time with pop artists, with mm. people who, you know, she's at the Grammys performing 15 with Miley. Like it's like kind of, she's already has a foot in both worlds, and that makes sense because she was a teenager and like, you know, she was like, the only like teen star in country at that moment and her teen peers were who were as famous as she was were doing pop music and Mm. also like you know kind of they were I mean you know Miley's like a little country adjacent but like they that was the people that she was spending time with and splitting her time with um and that made sense sort of just in an age-appropriate type of way Mm. but you know I think in terms of the songwriting like I don't it's it's funny to me because when I listen to like 1989 I hear country sort of Nashvilleism type of like songwriting on there. And I've always thought that that's such a big part of all of her songwriting where there is that country storytelling aspect of so much of her music mm. that is still happening even when she's not explicitly making country music. Um, you know, I think like like all you have to do is stay is like very kind of like country to me. Um, even like st- like the narrative style of, of style is very country to me. Mm. Um, just kind of that storytelling of like, you know, kind of like doing that twist. I mean, she talks about it in the Long Pond Sessions about folklore, how the last great American dynasty has that like country twist in it of like, the and then it's me. Twist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's always been in her music. It's very your song. Yes. Our song. Our song, yeah. Our song. And like, <laughs> there's a lot of that in her love songs are, Cornelia Street is such a country song. Like, yeah. All of these elements of the way that stories are told in her music really hits because she's doing country tropes with it. Like Mm. pop music is very often just like that verse, chorus, verse kind of like emotions and country music is actions. And like all of her music is very much actions. And Mm. because country and singer songwriter styles are so interconnected and so much about kind of that, that narrative and that story. And like, we are moving from place to place and from like storyline to storyline. And like, that's sort of, she's a very kind of literal songwriter in that way. Mm, mm. Um, so I think her relationship with country has never really left. I think she's just kind of 
obviously explored the mm. the different genres and added some synths and some Jack Antonoffs and <laughs> kind of done done what that what she wanted to. Let's get Jack to Nashville is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I would love to see her kind of return to that go full like nobody no crime album length. Yeah. When she does the re-recording, maybe she seems to kind of pair the re-recordings with the new music that she's working on, right? Yeah, and I think like even just like hearing new country music from her, I mean, new old country music from her in terms of the the vault recordings was like so delightful. Like mm-hmm. I love the the red, t- you know, TV vault recordings. Like I bet you think about me is such a great song. I'm like, how didn't you? How could you not put this on the album? When it was, you know, but yeah. it was very clearly almost too country for that album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like hearing those little country moments from her. And even, you know, she was writing, she wrote like, like Babe and, um, you know, Better Man for, you know, she originally wrote them and then they ended up going to different artists. Like those songs came out when she was already, you know, well into pop with 1989. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit always there. Mm. Maybe we've we've done dug ourselves a hole by always talking about her crossover into pop, and we need to be like, no, you can do both. Please do both. <laughs> um, it is notable for me that kind of similarly to the like pairing of the old and new records is that the next ones we'll get from Taylor are the re-recording of. I assume, of, you know, the I've destroyed my public image but found a new person who loves me album. And then, or not and then, sorry, I shouldn't speak as if I have any knowledge of when (laughs) Reputation Taylor's version is coming out. I don't want to give that impression (laughs) because I don't. But, um, and next on my list, non-linear, is the (laughs) album presumably that she's just announced about the breakup of that relationship and yeah, eventually some return to that early blueprint of herself as an artist. And the more I think, the more I thought about that, I realised they're kind of like almost like her three key personas in a way, like kind of scorched earth, woman who needs to have the last word um, and always using music as the last word. She doesn't use media or Mm -hmm. kind of like live performance in that way, like in the same way that I'm sorry to invoke them in this forum, but like the Kardashians use their TV show Mm -hmm. as their like definitive statement on anything. Um, And then the third persona kind of is like famous person having like a uniquely celebrity experience who is like that no one, no normal person can (laughs) kind of relate to. Um, And I'm curious to know from where you're sitting, if you could kind of predict or like anticipate or think about like what, what she might be kind of writing about about this moment for the next record maybe in the similar way that like reputation kind of captured that like post Kimye fallout of like public sentiment kind of turning against her like do you think what do you think like the theme might be from like the last two kind of impossible to predict enormous volcanic years of her career from our self-mythologizing queen i mean this would be the best time for her to return to country i feel like being yeah. the the kind of on the road type of songs like dating the football player like that those are country songs like, yeah girl that is like yeah i mean i think you know i think that could be kind of a, a fun <laughs> way for her to be like actually i'm gonna make a country album now like that i'm like i want to watch travis kelsey listen to country music yeah. also <laughs> so i mean i think that could happen i mean i think you know she's I, she's always done very well with like both the love songs and more recently with writing songs from different perspectives. Like it could really go anywhere. I mean, she, we can get uh, another kind of like, you know, folklore evermore type of like, she's doing narratives inspired by like, 
you know, literature and like, you know, made up characters that she has in her head. Or we can get like a kind of another type of like lover moment or a kind of lover reputation fusion moment of like her mm. really kind of focusing on sort of these like love songs presumably I mean it seems like it's going well between them like you know like love songs about them with with kind of like the you know the like talking her shit type of like you know stop talking about my private jet you know like type of stuff <laughs> I wish she'd sing about the jet oh my god I'm I know. like be a celebrity <laughs> yeah I, I mean she's you know she could very much do that type of like like, you know, real kind of, like, haughty type of, like, celebrity, like, you know, like, like I'm a boss type of songs. Like, she's, you know, she's done them, and she's, mm -hmm. like, had kind of teases of that, but she could just lean into that if she wanted to, mm -hmm. you know? We've already seen that things are not set in stone because famously, like, very early in her career, you and I talked about this recently, where she kind of said, you're never going to see me be the kind of, like, child child star who grows up and like falls out of a cab drunk like you're mm -hmm. never gonna see me like drinking publicly and blah 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 yeah. i saw her slamming a beer on a jumbotron a day ago <laughs> i'm like things can change yeah she's holding we like encourage three you to drinks change. at the marshmallow after party for the super bowl you know like <laughs> things happen sometimes you know <laughs> sometimes stuff happens um yeah she'll go from writing like fantasy stories about like a mad woman on a beach in like a stately home yeah. to be to like a football coach. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's his life like? I'm gonna write three verses. And at the end it's me. I'm the coach. <laughs> um, even like this act of like hypothesizing like what's the new album gonna be? What are the themes? Where is she at? We know her. So like let's excavate and kind of like put the pieces together. Like there are there are so few artists who not just kind of warrant that level of like thinking, puzzle piecing, like red stringing, mm -hmm. but who kind of actively encourage it um, in like theorizing from the media and from fans and from like casual observers. When do you think Taylor has kind of gotten that really right in like leaving clues and then kind of rewarding fans with something at the end? And when do you think maybe it's kind of backfired or not been as successful? I think the, I mean, I, I always really loved the liner notes that she did um, for her early albums, like when, you know, obviously physical media was sort of like the priority of it, um, you know, kind of putting the little messages and the capitalizations and like the, like, you know, the quotes and everything. Um, also, like, I, I've always been really partial to the, um, the lyrics she would write on her arm during the Speak Now tour. Um, I love those. And I think that kind of like, that hinting at her influences and hinting at kind of like the little peaks at what the songs are about, kind of offering that like, you know, like putting like maple latte on like all too well, capitalizing the words for that, like that kind of stuff I've always really loved. And I think in the backfiring is that there's too many. Like I think mm. it's like, it's almost, it's kind of like my limit and this is, it's just like a more of a personal thing. Like it's my limit as like a Swifty where I'm like, I, I, I cannot be decoding constantly. Like it's like genuinely exhausting, and like I sometimes I'll get videos on TikTok constantly of people being like, on this date because of this clock and this color that she's wearing, and then, and I'm like I'm tired. It was just a nice dress at an award <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, I'm like, but... what if we just enjoyed it? <laughs> yeah, like, and I think it's like, and it it really frustrates me with like a lot of the videos where it's like almost too many Easter eggs, and I'm like I'm like I'm I can't I have to opt out. Like it's yeah. like 
That part is the, the Babe, thing. she wants to make a feature film. Imagine. Oh, God, I know. If there's Easter eggs in the film, I'm, I'm not even going. Like, I, yeah. I, it's like, it'll be my it's limit. It's going to have to be cinemas. are going to have to have lights on so everyone can be jotting down. Yeah. <laughs> their it's, notes. Just, it's, it's funny. And it, like, it's to a point, like, it's kind of like parts of it are like kind of fun. But, you know, like, I think like, like everyone in her life kind of changing their um, profile picture to like black and white. Love that. That's a great, that's a I fun I didn't know that drink. happened. So that happened um, like two weeks ago and it was like literally like all, like all the Kelsey's did it, like Gigi Hadid, like she a bunch of the people. family's doing the it fam- too? She, she had like Kylie and Jason doing it. Um, <laughs> Not Jason, he's got a podcast to me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like that part, I love that part. I was like, ooh, something's coming. Like I was like, I was like, oh, they all changed their, pic- their picture. When's she going to change her picture? She changed it the day of the Grammys. Like that, love that. Great. I'm like, if I have to read one more damn clock and figure out I what know. day. Enough clocks. No, no more clocks. I'm like, we need to ban the clocks. Like, I don't, if I hear a ticky of a clock, it's going full, like, What's that, um, Poe, that you know? video art? In- yes, it's very, it's very <laughs> The Raven. Um, what's that, like, video artist installation where he's taken, like, every second of every day from a film and put it together and it's a 24-hour installation. Oh, yes. This I know. Is, yeah. It's very that. She's doing, she's, yeah. Maybe she went to a gallery and she got inspired by yeah. the clocks. I think it's just, like, it's, it's fun to a point. I, I think, like, I worry about it getting too homeworky to the point where, like, what if she doesn't want to continue doing that at one point and then yeah. people are still there, like, with, like, red string putting things together? And I, it's, I think it takes away some of the enjoyment a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of, like, I just want the music... Like, I, I don't want to, like, piece things together. Like, I just want to listen to the songs. Maybe I'll have some, like, behind-my-brain theories about mm. them. But, like, for the most part, my favorite thing about Taylor Swift songs is that I place them on my own life. Like, I'm also a Leo. So I'm like, I'm like this is <laughs> this clearly is about my experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but, like, that's, like... I mean, I think that's just, like, what the enjoyment of it of it is. Yeah. I think her kind of um, ubiquity as well and, like, the impact she has had on all areas of culture means that that level of kind of hypothesizing and, like, clue conspiring you could say conspiracy theory is kind of seeping into like all artists as well, even those Mm -hmm. who don't subscribe to it in the way that she did early on, you know? Yeah. I mean, even like, like Beyonce was kind of doing a little bit more like Easter eggy type of things with like the country album, Um, you know, like kind of like showing up in the cowboy hat. Soft launching a cowboy hat. Yeah. Little little soft launches here and there. Yeah. Um, Which I love, you know, like I think there's like really fun ways to do it. Um, you know, I think, like, kind of really cool ways. But, yeah, it seems like it's becoming such a, a bigger thing, like how people are thinking about, like, kind of planting little seeds. Because mm. it's easy marketing, like, right? Like, it's like if you, like, have these little hints somewhere mm. um, and your fans are, you know, kind of vast in a way where they are willing to piece that together, mm. then it works really effectively. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about the moment at the Grammys last week where Taylor took her first... Uh, acceptance speech as an opportunity to announce the upcoming record. Um, You know, some people who were in the room tweeted or posted things or made statements is kind of inferring that, like, the moment for everyone to come after her was kind of gone after that or, like, the air was kind of sucked out of the room because, like, the biggest megastar in the room had kind of taken a little more attention for herself. Um, and I was reading the culture journalist Anne Helen Peterson in her recent newsletter. She wrote a piece called about Taylor Swift and what she called the good girl trap. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she said, sometimes when you keep winning awards, but also in your career, it doesn't matter who you are or how hard you work for those achievements, people are going to find it harder to root for you. It's when domination turns into oversaturation, when honest missteps become weaponized, when the interpersonal comes to feel emblematic, when every move becomes overdetermined. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we've heard kind of nonstop for the last... 10 plus years, I think, of Taylor Swift discourse. Do you remember kind of the moment that sentiment kind of arrived for you or when you first started noticing it? Um, and do you have a sense kind of why it's never left? Yeah, I think like probably the height of it was 1989. Like I feel like um, it was so much her being everywhere and having like constant hit songs, like being surrounded by the most famous people in the world who are like, you know, part of the squad or coming out to like, be on stage with her at her shows. Like she's bringing out like, like Chris Rock and like like Kobe Bryant came out at a show and like all these people were just like, being sort of like, brought out and and kind of in sort of her her sphere. Um, obviously like there was like the very kind of dramatic like Kanye and like Taylor reconciliation like adding on to you know, all these things, um, and of course even prior to that there's like the constantly shocked face of the winning awards, um, which was made fun of a lot. And mm -hmm. they even did like an SNL sketch about it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's like all of those things. I think it's, it's kind of where that country and pop part sort of doesn't work always as well, because so much of that to me, of like a lot of her kind of personality and self-marketing reminds me of kind of Nashville type mm. of culture. Um, which is that modesty, that being very, like, um, you know, genuinely kind of genuinely surprised at sort of, like, all your blessings. And, it, and a lot of it comes from, like, sort of that Southern Christianity type mm. of stuff of, of being, like, a sort of down-home country star. But, you know, that's sort of what Taylor, as this, like, teenage prodigy, was emulating and so much of, like, what that presentation had to be. Um, mixed with that type of like community that comes with country music, like that, all that's pretty normalized. So I think that's kind of where it falters in pop music, where like trying to translate some of that into a pop persona falls flat because that's not the same thing we want out of our pop stars. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not even, as you're saying that, I'm realizing I've never thought of it through the lens of like genre mm -hmm. because I, you know, we all, we have, we have discussions or we have thoughts about Taylor as this kind of like powerful figure in terms of like her whiteness, her beauty, her talent, her thinness, her power, mm -hmm. etc. But she's also a young woman who, you know, to be shocked at her success feels falsely immodest, but to be confident and like, yes, I deserve to win also would not go down well. Yeah. I mean, um, even like in sort of the reactions to her reaction to winning, like it was still like, there was like that shock, but also like she was clearly very excited and like kind of reacting, you know, like a, a pop star who's been winning everything over the last yeah. couple of years does. And so even that sort of got backlash and hate. Um, like, you know, like the idea that she didn't like immediately like hug Celine or something or like, you know, it's like stuff that's kind of getting picked on that like yeah. if it were someone else, like if someone else had walked up there and just kind of like, you know, just was overwhelmed by the moment and, and didn't acknowledge everyone. Like it's the mm. kind of becomes a bigger thing because there's all this kind of loaded divisiveness built into Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. I had this note written down that 
I realize isn't a question, but it is a thought that maybe we can talk about. Yeah. Um, and it's the image of Taylor Swift as a worker, mm-hmm. as like someone who works at her craft, but also works at her image and, um, you know, reads everything about her, you assume, listens to everything, watch she's lurking in your posts, like she might see it no matter what you say. <laughs> um, she kind of wears her effort like it's a T-shirt or a billboard mm-hmm. or something. And being a try-hard, as we call them in Australia, <laughs> is the thing about her that I love the most, that yeah. is the most real to me, the most relatable to me. But then I also get trapped in that cycle of, like, it's not a pop star's job to be relatable. You cannot relate to her. Your experiences are not the same. <laughs> but um, it's like a trap that no one can win. But I also really love that kind of depiction of her as like someone who like cares deeply and tries very hard and isn't cool about it or chill about it yeah yeah it's very like I mean because I I watch Glee a lot like I compare a lot to Rachel Berry in class (laughs) I forget that you were a Glee (laughs) we don't have to label it I'm sorry 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 (laughs) that you watched the television show Glee but I was a viewer of Glee um (laughs) and um I mean she is so Rachel Berry coded in that where it's like there is that naked ambition she wanted to be successful she like you know, she wanted to be a famous pop star. Like, mm. she wanted to be... Well, she wanted to be a successful country singer. She wanted to be, like, Tim McGraw. She wanted to be, like, Faith Hill. She wanted to be, like, the chicks. Like, she wanted to be big, and she wanted to be signed to a label. Mm. Um, you know, when she went to pop, she wanted to be the best at pop. Like, she worked with Max Martin. She talks mm. about how... Um, it was, like, going to school. You know, it was, like, kind of her college courses were to work with the best there is in pop music and pop writing. Um, you know, she wanted to be bigger. Like, she wanted to... She wants to play stadiums, you know? Mm. It's not like she doesn't want these things. Um, and it would be ridiculous to act like any of our pop stars do not want these things. But we like to assume that they do. Like, it's like, they can't be humble, but they need to be humble, you know? Like, they mm-hmm. need to be, like, genuinely not, like showing in a, a an obvious way that mm-hmm. this is what they wanted forever. Um, you know, like even to even thinking about like my my Nirvana class from when I took my my like my little like Clive Davis course in college, like so much of that we talked about the fact that there was this image projected onto Kurt Cobain that like he didn't want this, that he was like mm. he very much like was overwhelmed by the fame. And I mean he was overwhelmed by the fame, but like he that he didn't want it at all and that it was a thing that he kind of but it was a a persona that he was playing like all of his journals and all of his thing was like we love ABBA and we want to be a big group and I want to be the biggest rock star in the world and Mm. like his heroes were like Kiss and like all these like things that would be seen as like kind of basic to 90s kind of alt rock you know fans and so we want this constant idea of like this martyrdom of celebrity. Um, Mm -hmm. And Taylor never did that. Like she never pretended to not want it. She was very much like this, like, you know, kind of like straight A student type of, of pop star where it's like, she wants to be top of the class and she wants to win the awards. She cares deeply about institutions like the Grammys. She cares Mm -hmm. deeply about the, um, the success of the albums and the songs. Like if she didn't, she wouldn't put out like five, versions of a vinyl record you know like she wouldn't put out like remix on remix of the song she cares about it like and that's Mm. and everyone does like no one and we shouldn't pretend like celebrities don't um Mm. so I think because she never hid that it's always been sort of a complicated Mm. 
relationship that people have had with her being sort of business minded mm. and talking about it um, in the way that we don't want mm. pop stars, especially women, to talk about it. I think we also have this idea that as the bigger a celebrity gets, what whatever field they work in, you know, we think of like A-list actors from an older generation. We're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio backstage, but like he, <laughs> um, you know, they rarely grant interviews. They allow very little access into their personal lives. You can talk about them, but they don't enter into the dialogue, mm-hmm. whereas she is very much like, I'm a part of this conversation and I'm going to like correct the record at every opportunity as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's very like she she does very much treat it like a business, mm. and she is very um, she's very much her own sort of like marketing agency. She's always been good at that, and it comes from that very like millennial sensibility of self promotion. Like she was on MySpace early mm-hmm. in her career. She was interacting with her fans. She was building her fan base like on MySpace and promoting her music on there and interacting mm-hmm. with people, adding them to her top eight, like doing all the... On the Christmas tree farm, HTML yeah. coding. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she she was interacting with it and then she's used social media in that way constantly. Um, you know, she's, she's very much like, she's paying attention and she's like genuinely kind of like interacting with it because she wants to know and she wants to kind of like be part of it. Mm. Um... I really want your thoughts on um, feelings, responses to Tortured Poets Department and what we have seen so far, which includes the cover art, yeah, and, which I described as Tumblr cover art. Yes. It feels like my friend is a photographer, has a camera, and yeah. ne- needed to take some photos for their portfolio. And she's such a millennial. Like, it's so, like... Yeah. It's like she's such a peak, peak millennial. Like she is like the peak millennial to me. Yes, um, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I... I can't talk about her manicures. I can't. The square uh, we tip. We can't get into that. The square tip. That's another... <laughs> that's a whole other hour conversation. Um, but I, um, I... Yeah, it's very Tumblr. The Even the title is very Tumblr poet type of like title which i love her veins of pitch black ink being a song title uh, yeah i mean all the song titles i really it's just like i'm 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 waiting Sorry, for no, it. that was her letter that she yeah with like Sorry. i i know it's going to be an album that will likely very much devastate me oh it's gonna be great yeah um <laughs> but yeah it's i i mean i guess like my initial reaction was stressed because i thought i was so prepared for us working for the grant you know it's like this is also my job like i'm like yeah. i have to cover this you know <laughs> and for her to like drop an album announcement like the day before i went on vacation i was like not this like yeah <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll deal with this in, like, April. Um, but, yeah, because I was so emotionally prepared for Rep TV announcement that night, so I was, it was stressing me out. Mm. Um, and I thought it was fake at first. I was like, there's no way that's, like, a real album that she's announcing right now. I know. There's no me way too. she wrote another album. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was, is this, like, a little joke? She's just having a little, like, she's a little wine drunk at the Grammys and made a little joke. Um, that she's was not made it. so many albums, she can't keep track. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think... Um, I'm, yeah, I, I was very genuinely surprised by it. Because especially, like, she kind of, the way that she dropped You Were Losing Me, which I think is one of my favorite songs that uh, by her that I've, I've just, like, I love that song. It's such a devastating breakup song and felt so much like the statement on the relationship with Joe um, in a lot of ways because it sort of was so quietly released and then was not in streaming. Like, it, she, like, put it out mm. on the physical deluxe version of 
of Midnight's that was only released at the MetLife Stadium shows in New York. And then, so, like, the only versions that existed online for months were, like, YouTube rips that I was, like, blowing up, like, hit platinum on... YouTube to mp3.com. Yeah, I was... <laughs> I, I wasn't even doing that. Like, I was, like, literally, like, I was just, like... I was, like, I want to listen to You're Losing Me, like, five times. Let me just, like, throw on YouTube, you know? Because um, I, I couldn't put it on my... I was, like, I can't put this on my phone. This would be a horrible act of anti-self-care. Um, and, like, it was... Yeah, it was just... She, like, quietly released it on streaming, like... It is such a devastating breakup song. It's so clearly about this relationship that it almost felt like that was the statement on mm. it. Um, and to make an album title that is so explicitly a reference to Joe and his group chat with um, Paul Mescal and who's it, Andrew Scott? Andrew Scott. The Tortured Man's Club. Um, to then have like a song called that like, felt so really bold. I screamed. I, like, I sounded <laughs> psychotic in like several group chats because I was like, the group chat that he has, and they were all like, "What are you talking about?" She, she and Phoebe Bridges are talking so much shit. You yeah. just know. Yeah, um, I'm surprised Phoebe's not on the album. To be honest, Me with too. that title. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, like so long. London being a, a track, Florida, which is like. She played a show in Florida, like, the day that the breakup was announced, I think. Florida like, three exclamation marks. Yeah, like, all that stuff. I'm like, this is, like, crazy. Like, this is, like, so, like, yeah, I, I was like, this is very, this is way more sort of explicit in a response than I yeah. actually anticipated that she would have um, in that way. So mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever uh, drama unfolds. <laughs> a, a song title that's a quote from The Little Mermaid wild yes but i also feel like i'm sensing some country seeping and maybe i'm just manifesting yeah. and delusional uh maybe i'm delusional maybe i'm manifesting <laughs> let's see but like fresh out the slammer fresh out the slammer <sighs> i can't talk about that title guilty as sin question mark who's afraid of little old me also question mark she's really playing with punctuation on yeah. this record <laughs> I can fix him brackets. No, really, I can. Um, and the smallest man who ever lived, which I feel like is going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you said it. Um, wild. Yeah. All right. We're going to open up to questions. If you have questions, you seem to put your hands up. The ushers will come around and hand you a mic. While we're getting the first couple lined up, Brittany, we've talked about Taylor. We haven't really talked about you and your work so I'm going to merge them together yeah um because you know when writing like a really long form feature profile on an artist like you do so often you kind of have to find like your hypothesis or your your thesis statement on them in this moment their career why they're on the cover kind of thing hypothetically if your next cover were to be about Taylor Swift at this moment releasing this record what would your kind of thesis statement on her be like the conversation among all of the noise and volume of chat around her what is the thing where kind of the conversation we're not having about her that you really want to have Ooh, not having about her um i mean i think i just like really want to get into the volume of stuff like i think that that is like the craziest part to me where it's like i want to like have that discussion with her of like like how and why, like what is like, what is motivating her? Cause there's something that's like really kind of like, you know, chasing her creatively that she's like trying to hit this moment. Um, Cause it's one thing to, you know, be constantly writing as many artists do, but it's another thing to like really have that sort of like that urge to like 
write, 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 and then also put it out consistently into the world on top of everything else that's happening. I mean, she also clearly like wrote a movie and like is doing like, you know, it's like all these other things that she's working on. It just seems like there's like something else kind of like really motivating her to like really push deeper into this prolific period. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of curious, like that motivation that goes beyond just, you know, that, that kind of clear kind of nostalgia and all this other stuff, like the sort of like the why of it mm-hmm. is still something I don't really totally understand. Mm. I want to see her Google calendar when you get that interview. Yeah, I want to let's get the full agenda. I want to know how she plans her days. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, thanks so much for doing this, Brody and Brittany. Um, I've been following your work for so long since you both used to write for Rookie Mag, <laughs> and it's so awesome to see you like in person today. Um, and Brittany, I really loved your episodes um, on Pop Pantheon. I've listened to you on Rolling Stone as well, Thank but you. I loved um, your episodes. We talked about One Direction and Destiny's <laughs> Child. Um, And so my question is, do you think Taylor has reached tier one yet? So for reference, tier one is where they put pop stars like Madonna and like Michael Jackson and like I think Beyonce's technically, they ranked her as a tier one. Do you feel that Taylor's at that level yet or do you think it's still too early to say? How many tiers are there? Oh, I think it's kind of like a triangle. Um, For reference, I'm pretty sure Fifth Harmony is tier five. Yeah. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Um, Yes, I think she's absolutely in tier one. Um, I think this tour, if there was any doubts of her being in tier one, this tour and the past year has absolutely solidified her. I think this is like a moment in that we will look back on. Like this is a moment in music history that like will continue to be sort of marked as like a major moment in the same way that we talk about like, like Beyonce dropping self-titled, like, um, you know, talking about like thriller, like talking about like, you know, Beatlemania, like we're going to be talking about it in that context because it's really, I mean, the fervor around it, the way that people have really congregated around just like physically around the shows, the, um, you know, the kind of like ticket, sort of fiascos and also just like fever to get it. Like, it's just like all of that is so big. Um, and it will be hard to not look at this as like a, a history, a historic moment in music. Um, I would have said, I, I feel like she hit tier one prior to this, but I do think this was a very mm. sort of solidifying tier one moment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting the sense, I haven't listened to this podcast, but I'm getting the sense it's like a who and a them kind of distinction. Yeah, it's like kind of kind of um, assessing a, an artist's career and kind of figuring out yeah. kind of where they they like stand in sort of that. There's also like the record breaking element of it too. Like yeah. gra- you got to win four album of the year Grammys to even get close to it now in terms of like industry kind of status. Yeah, I think like, I would say probably like Folklore Evermore, which is still again, like what I see as the turning point for this was the tier one solidifying thing. Um, cause she's kind of like teetering for a little bit, 1989, like put her there, but then like, there was so many like, com- like weird things and like people not really agreeing on reputation, lover and all that music. But like, mm. I think the tour really put her smack dab in that. Do you ever think about what would have happened if Kim Kardashian had never posted that Snapchat? What would have happened to Taylor Swift's career? I don't know. We I wouldn't mean, have we had reputation. Because reputation slaps. Like, I don't know. Agreed. <laughs> but yeah. we wouldn't have had. I wouldn't change a thing. We wouldn't have had the Ed Sheeran on it or the, the snakes. I kind of like, I think the I snakes the is snakes. like the chicest thing she does on the yeah, tour. Yeah, I thought that was a great, I thought, like, I thought the aesthetic change, like she needed, she needed something like a little, like, you know, mm. that wasn't like 
that that being the darkest possible her, like, imaginary cigarette moment. yeah like a leaked snapchat that's just like a conversation <laughs> I remember Best where I was. Best possible scenario I remember for a where star. I was. Yeah. I tweeted that it was my generation's moon landing. There's another <laughs> hand somewhere there. Um, just two questions about the eras in general. So as a teacher, which is the one that you enjoy teaching the most, but also just wondering if you think that the whole concept of the eras has been sort of artificially grafted on a career that actually hasn't had such neat divisions across albums and is that something that might be artistically defeating going forward yes so that to that one i actually was already like the the sort of like era's lingo and fandom i actually have always kind of like not loved that same um and i think it's become such a bigger thing and it prior to taylor too like obviously this is like a thing that that word and that kind of like fandom language has existed for, um, you know, I guess like probably the last decade, this idea of like a pop star constantly having to um, kill off the last character and like redo everything. Like there was only a few pop stars who were doing that. And it was just kind of like, you know, it was like, like Gaga was doing it because that's like a, such a Bowie mm -hmm. Madonna thing that she was kind of putting on. But it, it's like, it, I think it, I don't know. I think like having to do that sort of like showiness of changing into characters is something that I don't find necessary. And what I always loved about Taylor is that there wasn't that character to her. Like she was always Taylor Swift. She was just changing her sound to kind of match where she was at musically and what she was going through. Um, so I guess like in the way that she's using it, it kind of morphs the word a little bit to just sort of be like an album is sort of like marking a period in time. Um, mm -hmm. And has sort of like completely taken over the language. I don't. I don't really know what it will mean for the future for her. I'm. I'm hoping that it. I, I'm hoping that we just kind of kill off that entire idea of like you know, everyone has to dye their hair before a new album, and like everyone has to like completely change their entire look, and like, you know, like I think that takes away creatively from anything where it's like you should just be creating because this moves you and excites you and like, mm -hmm. you know, is fun um, instead of feeling like you need to like create this character, which I don't feel like Taylor has totally done outside of reputation. Mm. Um, She's also and been like such lover. a great like sound over the last few years. And yeah. it's like, you don't have to go try something completely different. Yeah. Although I would love her to work with Mark Ronson. I yeah. Anyway. And it, yeah, it's very much kind of that uh, sort of like a, a, a marketing tool for the re-recorders mm. where she ha is sort of leading up to this. You are going to have me revisiting you know, red, and I, so I'm creating this kind of persona out of red that otherwise was not a persona. That it was just me as a millennial in 2012, wearing outfits that 2012 millennials were wearing. I thought Polaroids were like very cool, yeah. and so that's the album cover. Yeah, yeah. and your favorite, <laughs> I think, short. was the first question. Yeah. Your oh, and um, my favorite. Or your favorite to teach. My favorite to teach. Um, Oh, they're all really fun because each class is kind of unique. Like they all kind of have different angles to them. I think the one that I ended up really loving teaching is actually the reputation class because I did not realize prior to teaching it how little like Gen Z, their relationship with Kanye is different than like mm. millennial relationship to Kanye. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of have to give this big context to him in the class where I have to like explain there why it was a point he mattered. Yeah, the, to, the, to, him, to people who are, you know, now in their early 20s, 
are he's been a MAGA loser and like a real like shitty guy mm. for most of their formative years. Yeah. But for people like us and Taylor, like that college dropout was her first the first album she bought. Mm. He was like a, you know considered a genius and considered the coolest person. And so to kind of contextualize his album eras, like he kind of defined that. Yeah. Concept of matching a look to a sound. And Especially for like a male artist. Like mm-hmm. it was very much like he, you know, he's like, he was everything to a lot of people. And so, and also like really forward thinking politically and like, th- you know, controversial, but he was saying like mm-hmm. things that were actually kind of true and His and outbursts smart. were good for a time. <laughs> so to kind of contextualize that is really fascinating because it helps kind of set up sort of the way that they were weaving together, why this was why their relationship has been so formative to both of them and almost kind of like um, kind of career trajectory changing for both of them. Mm-hmm. And that is that I find I found that really fun to dig into because I love being able to give a little mini history lesson on another artist within this class to kind of make sense of pop culture in the 2000s. Mm. Oh, that would be so juicy. Um, so I love Taylor as most of us probably do mm-hmm. um, and I feel like her work has given us a lot, you know, emotionally, culturally, economically. As a woman, she's really, really inspirational to my generation but I often find myself having to legitimise her place and my love of her work. Um, people question that a lot and I, I guess my question is how do you kind of come up against having to legitimise loving a pop star um, yeah, that's my question. I hope you can kind of interpret that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I mean, you know, like, Brody and I are such, like, boy band fans, so we, we dealt with that a lot mm-hmm. as covering One Direction when we were covering One Direction, you know, like, um, and I think in terms of Taylor, like, you know, I always get a lot of comments because I'm black and, like, it's like, you know, like, that's a white, art, like, that's like a white mm. people type of artist. Like, that's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's that. It's very fascinating because, I don't know, like, I've, I think in my, the reason why I love covering music and why I cover music and why music means so much to me is we can't really like help the way that we listen to things and what we connect with. Um, We connect with all these things because they are sparking something inside of us that we don't anticipate or didn't realize we needed and um, all of that. So I don't know, I think it's, it could always be a complicated answer to sort of, you know, make sense of it. But I think also remembering that you don't have to legitimize to anyone why you like what you like kind of helps you answer it in that way where it's like, I, you know, I've been asked a million times and I'm like, well, I just like her music. Like her music means something to me. It's kind of sparks this kind of like emotional response in me. Um, I also think that her songwriting is quite brilliant. I, you know, I think I always, am, that's kind of the thing that I always bring up to people where it's just kind of like, here's why I love these songs. Like mm. why these songs kind of connect with me and other people. Um, you know, people are always like, she writes to me breakup songs. Like, everyone writes a breakup song. Yeah. You know, I can't complain about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a weird, you know, non-complaint. So, yeah. yeah. I think I think just remembering at the end of the day, like, there's no need to explain yourself for what you like. Yeah. Kind of helps you answer it. Because then you're like, like, who are you to tell me? Yeah. That I yeah. can't like Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. Getting to, get, getting that kind of, like, leeway in our careers to, like, think and write and speak critically about like fandom culture as well I feel like gave us like a a shortcut around it because we could be like we're really intellectualizing the experience of being a fan when really like I just want to look at Harry Styles as much as anyone else 
Yeah, I don't know. Those songs are fun. I'm allowed to still think he's cute and the songs are fun. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? Not smile and best song ever comes on? (laughs) (laughs) Come Hi. Um, I'm wondering, because I absolutely agree with you, Brittany, that Evermore and Folklore were pivotal in bringing so much more of a fan base to Taylor Swift. From a musical and a marketing perspective, what elements of the album do you think brought that fan base in? Um, I think it was working with someone new, working with Aaron Dessner, I think, like... um, And, I mean, this part is kind of, like the weird part to me and kind of always, like, it doesn't make me feel icky about it, but it's kind of just like, it's like, ugh, like it's in the same way, like where Ryan Adams doing the 1989, like cover album was like how, mm. you know, like, like Pitchfork hadn't reviewed her music before until like the Ryan Adams, like 1989 thing. Um, you know, it's kind of like working with the national where I think there's a lot of people who like really kind of love that style of rock music who, we're like, oh, she's working with Aaron Desner. That's a new collaborator. That's like a very like weird offbeat choice for Taylor Swift to work with. Um, I think that kind of brought that in. And I think, you know, it her last three albums prior to this, I mean, I guess four if you count red to that, but red was like half super bombastic pop and half sort of like, you know, guitar driven, um, you know, acoustic type of music. But like, you know, 1989, Reputation and Lover were like these like really in-your-face pop albums, like super, super synthy. Like there's like trap drum beats on Reputation, and like Lover is like just like this explosion of color on everything. And it's just like, um, you know, the videos were like super crazy. Like it was like very in-your-face type of like over-the-top pop dramatics. And I think like folklore coming out and being sort of like surprised, both of them being like surprise drops, like announcing 12 hours before, no massive rollout, which is unusual for Taylor. Um, Working with an off, like a kind of, you know, left field producer and writer and co-writer for her. Um, And then making music that's way more pared down than she had been making in years. I think it was all kind of like a perfect storm of Mm -hmm. like people listening. And also again, like people are just like home. And, you know, I think, it was kind of, you know, it was like perfectly sad, reflective music for that moment. Um, it really meant the moment. Yeah, yeah. like it, it was really like someone who kind of was just responding to what was going on around her and and doing a lot of the same things that mm. we all were doing, which was just like thinking about our lives or immersing ourselves in stories and kind of turning that into art. But yeah, I think it was, I think everyone sort of had different reasons why they kind of were pulled to it. But I think that's sort of like all the big big Mm. stuff that got new listeners the rollout too like what you were saying before about um the singles for Mm -hmm. lover and reputation like to put it kindly like she no one got a chance to be kind of like sick of her by the time the album came out it was just a whole record you didn't know what it was so you gave it a shot and i think that's something that she hasn't had the benefit of with the traditional rollout is you're less willing to give it a shot if you're already like someone feels very overexposed as she always is going to be because she's she is the monoculture. <laughs> yeah, she has very much used on her pop albums the lead single as that statement. Like, Shake It Off is like the, you know, stop talking about my dating life statement. But then, like, the rest of the album is, like, so different lyrically from that, you know? Yeah. Um, and Look What You Made Me Do is, like, the you wanted the Kimmy statement. And the rest of the album is, like, a love story. Yeah. You know, it's, like, kind of, like, these, like, you know, they just sort of feel very, like, a, I don't know, trying to misdirect you. Um, but... Yeah, I think I think 
doing no rollout for someone who becomes so divisive and so overexposed easily mm. has been like the best thing for her. So I'm curious if we're going to get a single ahead of Torture Poets. I don't, I don't know. Like Midnight's, I was kind of surprised that there was like a rollout, but no single. Yeah. Um, but I think it kind of benefits her more if we just listen to the album as an album. No more clocks. Yeah. No, no more, more clocks. clocks. Enough clocks. <sighs> no more clocks. <laughs> um, that's our time. This went so quickly. I hope that if anyone is in the early stage of their Taylor week, that this was a nice primer. If you are not going to be at the G this weekend, that this was at least scratch some itch um, of like being around fellow fans. Um, please join me in thanking Brittany. And thank you, Brody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Brody Lancaster in conversation with Brittany Spanos. Recorded on Tuesday, the 13th of February, 2024, at the Wheeler Centre, as part of the University of Melbourne's Swift Posium Conference. The Wheeler Centre podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. You can listen to more podcasts or explore videos, news, and our full calendar of events at wheelercentre.com.